Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast in the week of Sunday, February 13th, 2022, and the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. I hope you're doing well. We'll be back in person this week, Sunday, 10 a.m. If you're around, I hope you can join us. We ask that everybody, of course, wear a mask still to keep everyone safe as possible. And we are continuing on Wednesday, 7 p.m. for community group. That's on Zoom. We're reading Rachel Held Evans' book, Wholehearted Faith. You can read, you can not read, you can come join us. Everybody's welcome. 7 p.m. Zoom. All that information is on the website or on Discord. And then the next Tuesday, Tuesday after next, February 22nd, we are hosting the Homeless Count for Arlita and Mission Hills. Uh, this goes a long way in getting people that are experiencing homeless uh, homelessness the the resources that um, they need from the city. So if you can volunteer, all that information is on uh, the Facebook group as well and the Discord. Uh, so I hope you can join us on February 22nd for that. All right, we are continuing in the lectionary in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17, going through verse 26, and I am reading out of the voice translation. The whole crowd of disciples, including the 12 now designated as his emissaries, came down together and they stood on a level area nearby. They were joined by an even greater crowd of people who had come across the whole region, all the way from Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal areas of Tyre and Sidon. These people came to hear Jesus teach and to be healed by Jesus of their diseases. Those who were troubled by demonic spirits were liberated. Everyone wanted to touch Jesus because when they did, power emanated from him and they were healed. He looked across the faces of his disciples and said, All you who are poor, you are blessed, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. All you who are hungry now, you are blessed, for your hunger will be satisfied. All you who weep now, You are blessed, for you shall laugh. When people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and write you off as evil on account of the Son of Man, you are blessed. When these things happen, rejoice, jump for joy. Then you will have a great reward in heaven. For at that moment, you were experiencing what the ancient prophets did when they were similarly treated by ancestors of your detractors. All you who are rich now, you are in danger, for you have received your comfort in full. All you who are full now, you are in danger, for you shall be hungry. All you who laugh now, you are in danger, for you shall grieve and cry. When everyone speaks well of you, you are in danger, for their ancestors spoke well of the false prophets too. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, uh, you may have noticed that the lectionary has uh, skipped a couple of chapters of text. We don't really have time to get into that. But if you do have questions, if you want to flip through on your own, uh, we can talk about that on on Sunday as well. So we're here in this uh, very familiar text in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, particularly in Luke and in Matthew. And you, you might be familiar with the, the Matthew version of this text is a little bit more popular. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And here in Luke's, uh, we have the Sermon on the Plain, which not only contains blessings uh, like Matthew's text, but it also includes these woes that we have at the end. So we will, we will start the text this week, and then uh, next week we'll actually pick up the, the rest of this text 
uh, starting in verse 27 and going through. So we'll have two weeks to talk about uh, this particular sermon. So so we'll just kind of start some some thinking on this and then hopefully have a conversation around it uh, in person on Sunday. So uh, so we have the blessings and the, and the woes in this text, obviously, and, and there's there's difficulty in in translating blessing. It's a especially in Christian culture, in, particularly in the West and the U.S., blessed blessing. It is kind of a word that is is like love or justice. We it's been used so much that it almost doesn't have any kind of meaning, right? So, it translating this or interpreting it for our own time is is fairly difficult. And I obviously use the voice translation. Uh, the English translation, and you'll notice if you've read any translations in English, they use different phrasings for blessed. So the NRSV, which is, uh, I think, the most common and most credible in academic circles for sure, uh, translates it the classic, blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. The CEB interestingly translates uh, blessed uh, are to happy are, and woe to is how terrible for you, fill in the blank. So they, the CEB goes with happy are instead of um, blessed be the poor. Uh, the message translates, uh, you are blessed when, you are blessed when, and then translates the woes as there's trouble ahead if, or there's trouble ahead when. So they're all trying to, in their in their different ways, trying to get at this idea of, what do, how do we translate blessed? How do we can, how do we translate woe? And to be perfectly honest, right, woe is just a word that is a warning. It means uh, watch, watch out, look out. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of why the um, the voice translation uses uh, the phrase um, "you are in danger," and they use it kind of at the end. So it says like, when everyone speaks well of you, then you are in danger, which is just another way of saying. Uh, look out, or as the uh, message puts it, hey, look out, there's trouble ahead. So all these variations are trying to get at what is happening in what Jesus is saying, particularly to his uh, disciples here, and then, and then we have to figure out what does it mean for, what does it mean for us. Uh, so we've mentioned before that in context, uh, a, a, I think a good translation would be um, how honorable are, how honorable are the poor, how respectable are those who are poor. And then you could see in the woes, how shameful are you who are in positions of power, how shameful you who are rich and take advantage of the poor, right? So he's, he's playing with this, in, in context in particular, this honor-shame dynamic, which we know is uh, encompassing both uh, social reality and an economic reality. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, he's making an all-encompassing statement about who in society is given honor, respect, and dignity, um, and who are vulnerable in society that don't have um, levels of honor, but they would have uh, shame in society due to a variety of factors that make them powerless. So this is all within the context of what Jesus said in, in Luke 4, that he's come to set the captive free. He's come to, uh, to liberate, essentially, to enact the year of the Jubilee. It is saying something about those who do not have honor in society having honor in society. So there's this great reversal that we see Jesus um, 
carrying through not only in what he's doing and who he's healing, but also in his teaching. So we can think about this in the, in the larger context of that great reversal. So when Luke is writing to his community in the second half of the first century, he's not just spiritualizing uh, poverty and materiality, which we sometimes see in Christianity. He's addressing both the social and economic issues, as well as uh, the con- condition of the heart, body, mind, and soul uh, that are connected to the liberation of those who are marginalized and those who are suffering. So to be clear, there's no <laughs> there's no way to get a prosperity gospel from this text, and there's there's not a path to simply make this about a kind of person or a person who is honorable and a different kind of person who is shameful. Surprisingly, Christianity has often used this text to perpetuate systems of domination and oppression by spiritualizing the blessings and woes, like saying something like, Jesus isn't talking about the material suffering here. It's a spiritual poverty, or um, this grief is over-spiritualized and doesn't have something to do about the material suffering here and now. Uh, While Christianity has used the material world in damaging ways, similar to how Rome and the religious systems of Jesus's time were abusing those. So domination systems can always place themselves in the position of blessing, and they can place one's enemy in the position of the woes. That's super common. But we have to be careful not to fall into a similar trap of labeling ourselves as the ones receiving God's favor, blessing, and others as the ones needing to hear God's warning, right? Uh, one reason that doing this doesn't, doesn't really work is that material and social status is c- completely relative. For example, many of us who are working class in the United States are extremely wealthy from a global standard. Most of us don't have to worry about food, clean water, shelter, electricity. Uh, Many of us have been fortunate enough to receive uh, an education. We have cars. We can take transportation around the world in ways that many people cannot. All this to say is it's important to realize that poverty is an economic and social reality, but we have to remember that our perceptions of how we categorize ourselves may not be completely accurate because of the relativity of these categories that we're, we're using. So instead of saying, well, we're poor and other people are rich, so you know, blessed are the poor and woe to the rich, we have to see these as much more complicated and uh, nuanced categories in which we can see ourselves fitting in both. So it's easy to read a text like this and hear the distinctions of what makes a person honorable and what makes a person shameful. And we might have different categories than other people that think that they're honorable for whatever reason in their mind, they think they're honorable and other people are shameful for whatever reason their theology says another person might be shameful. Um, so, you know, like for me, right. I, it's very easy to be like, well, I'm in the, the position of honor or, uh, God is on my side, our side, and Ted Cruz is one of the shameful ones. That's easy, uh, an easy distinction to make. And while that might be true, I am not sure that that's what this text is trying to get at or how helpful that really is in the deeper pursuit of 
liberation, freedom, and healing, which at the end of the day, that's, that's all we're doing here is, is trying to say, how does uh, the life of Jesus um, compel us and call us into these deeper realities of our relationship to God and our relationship to, to neighbor? Uh, we have to think about this text in that, that full context of how does grace and liberation function? How does uh, the kingdom of God, the, the reign of God, actually enact itself, invest itself in our lives and in our world in ways that bring out uh, material liberation and justice? So thinking about this in the context of the, the whole gospel and even though the lectionary skipped a lot, uh, we've, we've been tracing these themes of liberation and justice all the way from Mary's song at the beginning of Luke's gospel, which pronounces the powerful will be brought low and the lowly be lifted up. Jesus announces a new social structure in Luke 4 in which the outcasts are brought in and restored to dignity. Then Jesus goes out and starts healing people. He calls his disciples, which we hear about in the beginning of this text, and then he's teaching them. Um, he's creating a new way of being and enacting a society, an alternative community that flips the structure of who has honor and who has shame upside down. So society says this person has honor, this person has shame. He's creating an alternative community that flips that structure on its head. So he continues to live and teach this message of the other side. And society indicates those who have power and those who have uh, wealth, those are the ones that receive the honor. And, and what makes this message um, in, in the blessings and the woes so, um, I think, challenging and, and mind-blowing even 2,000 years later is that it says, uh, whoever society says is lifted up, whoever has uh, success, money, power, um, and who people think has um, blessing, honor, dignity, um, has, has it made, right? Uh, it's, God honors actually those who have nothing. God, God honors, uh, those who are at the end of their rope. Uh, God honors the tears of those who are weeping from oppression and systems that don't recognize their dignity. Uh, in the same, the same woe, the same warning, the same, in danger uh, we are when we are the ones that simultaneously um, perpetuate systems of oppression, whether through uh, complicity, silence, ignorance to injustices, uh, whenever we live with pride, greed, anger, lust, all these, all these kinds of things that we are also capable of, that all of this is part of the human condition. So how do we frame this text that's signaling us once again to the particular, the particular location of God's presence, being with those who are suffering, being with those who are in need of liberation? And to me, one of the helpful aspects of that, that question or that curiosity is that Jesus has a large group of people here, but he's speaking to uh, it says he's speaking to his disciples. So is he? did he pull his disciples away from, from the larger group? Was he putting the rich disciples on blast? Or was he saying something more about the comprehensive uh, human condition? Um, 
those whose systems don't honor and saying something about who God honors. And when we continue talking about this text next week, we can um, we can consider maybe more deeply how um, this invitation to seeing the other side or seeing Jesus's reversal of systems and ourselves who we think we should honor, who society honors, who has status, dignity, etc. Uh, we can we can think about those maybe in a more comprehensive way uh, next week. And I think it's fascinating to consider that a text that really sounds dualistic, these people are blessed, these people are in danger, comes from a place of complete inclusion and abundance. In a strange way, it kind of reminds me of the phrase when you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. Like, in other words, whenever you assume the position of the righteous, the position of the person aligned with God, either from a superior or inferior position. We're, oddly enough, back to believing that grace or blessing can be earned or deserved or is based on external or internal qualities. So those who make it all about uh, material qualities from a superiority or inferiority um, position or people that, uh, or religion, Christianity, that uh, over-spiritualizes and makes it about some strange internal quality, it's still at some level missing uh, the point of the trajectory of all of the Gospels, which is uh, grace, abundance, blessing can never be earned. Uh, It's like like, uh, when we're watching ourselves. thinking in centering prayer or meditation. We see our thoughts. We see all these little hangups that we have, our, our identities, our fixations, our addictions. And, and then we, we step back after we notice all of these thoughts. And we notice that there's somebody doing the observing. And it's common to think, okay, who's, who's doing the observing in that case? And then once that perception dissolves and we start observing the observer, we that perception of all of these um, attachments and little hangups dissolves even further. And we start to realize that our being, our life, is simply expressing itself, is unfolding each moment, becoming more evident for us to realize that there's actually no separation between us and our neighbor. So there can be no, no blessing for us and some curse for them. So oddly enough, the other side opens itself and comes back around in the movement for love and liberation and what Jesus is doing with his life, uh, enacting an alternative way of being and an alternative community All of this flows from 100% unmerited grace, meaning they didn't and we don't do anything to earn it or deserve it, which cannot suggest that so-and-so didn't do enough or that person is cursed. All of that comes from this open flow of unmerited grace, which 
inevitably will draw distinctions, which inevitably will open us up to injustice. So Jesus invites us to see that this kind of grace allows us to see material injustice and the suffering of our world uh, more acutely and to understand that, again, this is where God's presence lies. And this brings us back to those who don't give others their honor and their dignity, their due, because they do not yet see the image of God in all things. And inevitably that requires uh, this flow of accountability. So opening to the other side. So may we see that this invitation takes us deeper into grace, which pushes us deeper into love. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well.